where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to season four of Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. I'm John. And I'm James. That's right. It's a bittersweet start to the season. It's the first coachless season. Yeah, no, no coach in this one, which gets addressed quite early on in the, the episode. But yeah, different, different vibe. Almost to acknowledge that the episode title is Birth, Death, Love and Rice. I guess we've covered maybe one of them. Is there any parody around that title? I couldn't find any, but I guess that makes it unique to this episode as we find out the meaning behind each of these. Exactly. This episode aired on the 26th of September, 1985. And it was written by Heidi Palman and directed by James Burroughs. He's still here for season four. Yeah, he's not gone anywhere. He's, he's sticking around. I tell you what, the day when someone else has directed, if that ever happens, I don't know. But the day it happens, I'm going to be shocked, James. Who's this person coming in claiming they know how to direct Cheers? I tell you what, well, how do we kick off this season, James? What is the first cold open of season four? It's a bit of an odd one because someone's ordering a beer and it's not who you'd usually expect. It opens on one of the recurring barflies. It opens on Alan and he's ordering a beer. He asks where Sam is and Sam has been gone for three months. Quarter of a year. This is Alan Koss. This is Alan Koss. Alan Koss is Alan. And yeah, so he, he we get a bit of a sort of catch up on what happened at the end of season three. So that Sam went off to stop a wedding he went on a flight which uh, had chicken diablo and blame it on rio as the in-flight movie that's the well, that's what i took away from that episode that cliff and norm hypothesized that diane and sam are now married and norm reveals he almost went to italy for his honeymoon but that vera insisted on coming so he decided against it classic norm some things don't change uh, i'm not sure exactly when norm got married they were high school sweethearts weren't would they Norm and Vera? Yeah, we've heard quite sporadic information come through about Norm's relationship with Vera. I suppose one of the biggest things we know is all through the last season, he was trying for a baby. Be interested to see if that carries on. They were sweethearts from school. Yeah, exactly. So I'm guessing they've been married for, what, 10, 15 years? Because Norm's mid-30s now. Yeah. So possible they've been married for that long. But then Sam storms in and details the disaster of what happened, which derails very quickly and becomes quite... Tragic and quite sinister, really. It wasn't what I thought was going to happen. After, after the sort of cliffhanger of season three, I thought it was going to be quite a sort of drawn out resolution. Yeah, you thought it would last for a few episodes into season four. I thought we'd at least see more of Italy. Couldn't film any rest of Italy. We ran out of everything that looks a bit like Italy. The Italian budget was blown. It was Frasier tipping people too much. But Sam goes into his office after this angry tirade and he says to every customer that he never wants to hear Diane's name again. And then someone asks, some idiot, John, really, some just really read the room, asks, Who is this Diane Chambers anyhow? Who said that? And I'll tell you, this episode is off to, this season's off to a violent start. It's <laughs> Cliff gets a lot of hate in this season, opener. Yeah, exactly. I know they set up last season that Cliff was going to be about Florida. And that was going to be his whole sort of thing of the season. If anything's to judge, Cliff is going to have a very hard time this season. Yeah, we're feeling a bit of sympathy for Cliff, but I think he's going to have to watch out for any projectiles from Sam or Carla. I think what that sets up is that there's trouble afoot in shoes and there's going to be difficulties for a few people for the rest of this season. I think it's going to be a difficult time for a lot of people in shoes. There's, there's going to be quite a tense atmosphere. 
It isn't, it isn't all bad news and tension because we have a new starter with the cast, none other than Woody Harrelson. Yeah, little known actor, uh, Woody, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> he's been in a few things uh, since Cheers, hasn't he? Many things since, but I, I'm not sure how much he's done before Earth. Uh, well, he Woody Harrelson joins the cast as Woody Boyd. Prior to Cheers, he was an understudy in the Broadway play Biloxi Blues, and he made his film debut in Wildcats, which was also the film debut of Wesley Snipes. Wow. He, he plays very much what people perceive to be himself. He plays a, a very sort of everyday character who is potentially a bit naive. This is amazing. Hundreds of bottles. Red and white wine glasses, high-grade nog-eyed stool covers, <laughs> and a brass rail, and a big city bartender with a joke at the ready. You from out of town? <laughs> okay, I'll bite. Yeah, I'm from out of town. Can I help you? Well, that went right over my head. <laughs> Excuse me, my name's Woody Boy. The writers have admitted that it's useful having a naive or slightly less intelligent character because the rest of the characters can explain to this character things that are happening without it seeming like exposition. I think uh, it allowed them to carry on doing quite a bit of the same sort of sense of humour as well. Yes, it was certainly a replacement for Coach, but... In order to not dishonor the memory of Nicholas Colasanto, they went with someone who is obviously much younger. And he looks like he's mid-twenties. Mm. He's a farm boy. He's not used to the city. I think he's come over to the city to actually see Coach, which is when Sam reveals that Coach has passed. Yes, Coach passed a couple of months before this scene. There's actually quite a big jump in time between the cold open and the rest of the episode. Four months, if I'm not mistaken, which implies that Coach died between the cold open and the rest of the scene, which is good because it means that Sam probably got to see him before he died. You know, we were worried that Sam went off to Italy and would never see Coach again, but luckily he did manage to. He saw him off screen. Yeah, and it's revealed that Coach and Woody are friends or pen pals. Pen pals. They exchanged pens. Woody's also looking for a job, which is convenient because Sam's looking to hire, I guess. And he probably took quite a big trip from indiana to boston but apparently coach was the only one who responded to any letters so there's a implication that woody and coach are related although this isn't stated outright i think he is spiritually coach's son which works quite well as the kind of surrogate relationship that sam and coach had what i was gonna say is i do think it's quite nice that they went for someone a bit younger because it's given sam potentially a new sort of role in all this i completely agree we've heard aspects of sam's ex-wife before and we've seen him help other people around the bar but i think with woody coming in he has this extra level of responsibility mm. he brings carla over to get her permission to hire woody i'd like you to meet woody boy woody this is carla tortell hi ma'am ma'am what's that supposed to mean <laughs> I believe it's a term of respect. I wonder it sounded so weird. <laughs> Who's this guy? Well, he's a friend of coaches and he's uh, looking for work. What do you think? You want to give him a try? Me? Mr. Malone, this is the proudest day of my life. <laughs> I'd work like a slave and I wouldn't take anything more than minimum wage. And of course, I'd wash your car. And if you ever need someone to just, you know, yell at, I'm your man. 
I think we better keep him, Sam. He wouldn't be safe on the streets. <laughs> Thanks, girl. During this opening scenes, we also get an update from Norm regarding him and Vera and their attempts to have a child. Which is a bit sad. It's a bit sad. I don't think Norm cares that much. It could be worse, but basically Norm just goes, yeah, she told me not to bother. Yeah, he kind of built everyone's uh, hopes up a bit though, because he comes in like celebrating, saying he's got good news about the pregnancy. And everyone's like, oh, hey, this can only mean one thing. Yeah, champagne's flowing. Champagne, cigars. Is it, is it Cliff um, puts his cigar out in Norm's champagne? Yeah, well, that sounds like a house special right there. They go, oh, congrats. So, you know, when's the Judith? And Norm goes, oh, she's she's not expecting. She just told me we don't have to try anymore. And everyone goes, what are you doing taking our champagne, you, you moocher? We're going to give you this mundane, salty pints instead. I tell you what, a lot happens in this episode. It does. They really cram it in, don't they? We're not even through the first act yet. <laughs> Following on from here, we get the arrival of none other than Fraser Crane. And he's angry as well. And I'd say this is someone who I wasn't expecting to see return, really. I mean, I, I know I know he was going to return. Just not as soon. Not as soon, and not in the situation that he did. He's got fire in his eyes, though, doesn't he? Yeah, fire in his eyes and a gun in his pocket. <laughs> and, and as soon as he comes in, he's pretty on edge. I guess the first person he bumps into is uh, Woody. Yes, and their interaction does not go well. What's your pleasure? My life is devoid of pleasure. You need a good laugh. Are you from out of town? Just give me a whiskey, punk. As we can hear from that, Woody's trying to have a bit of uh, the city bartender rapport, trying to crack a few jokes, which he doesn't really understand. He thinks they're jokes. He also sort of expresses a bit earlier on how he loves being a bartender because you get sort of nicknames and everyone's either Mm. calling you Chief or Buddy or anything like this. Fraser calls him punk. Which is something I wouldn't call Woody, really, at least from this first impression. I was almost expecting Fraser to go... uh... This is a Magnum 44, the most powerful handgun in the world. With one shot, it could blow your face clean off. So you've got to ask yourself one question. Do you feel lucky? Well, do you? <laughs> he saves that kind of language for when he's in the uh, the office with Sam. Yes, and uh, Sam's had many a guns pulled on him <laughs> in his time. Is this number four? Certainly more than three, yes. Andy is one. Guy from Sam Turns the Other Cheek is another one. Probably Andy again. Well, either way, this, this one seemed to have maybe... I was going to say actually the most logic for the robbery. I don't think it did actually, probably the least. Fraser's on edge because he got... Fraser's lost everything. <laughs> yeah. Diana's left him at the altar. He's been sort of a laughing stock within the psychology community. And Italian football. The story of my humiliation spread like wildfire through the university and then to the entire Italian countryside. <laughs> Everyone knew about it. Everyone knew about my shame. No, you must have been imagining that. Oh, was I? Do you know that in soccer, when a player kicks at the ball, misses and falls down, it's now called a Frasier? <laughs> that could be a coincidence. If he's knocked cold, it's called a Frasier Crane. He's become a meme, basically. This is almost the opposite of a Homer. In in The Simpsons, a Homer, which is like a phrase which catches on, is where you don't mean to do something, but you like fluke it. So in sports, if you like slipped, but the ball went in the goal, that's a Homer. Sports reference. Well, kind of. <laughs> but anyway, there's only one person that Frazier can blame all of his problems on, and that's Sam Malone. Thus, there's a gun drawn on him. But yeah, he's, he's lost everything. He's lost his fiance. he's lost his practice, he's lost... Everybody's respect for him, and he's now a practice of Dr. Bennett Ludlow. He's definitely fallen on hard times, and when he says that I'm a patient of Bennett Ludlow, 
Sam goes, oh, he's doing a great job. <laughs> Not something you want to say to someone who's pointing a gun at you. I'll tell you what, Sam, it's things like that. This is why you keep getting a gun pulled on you. But Frasier does reveal a bit of information. He reveals that Diane is actually back in Boston, but in a nun convent. What well, sounds to be just around the corner. Not far. I think it's at most an hour's drive. In TV, it's just like a scene change, shall we? Yeah, it's an establishing shot and some music. <laughs> but Sam promises he won't go to see Diane. But in the next scene, he goes to see Diane. Because Sam lies. <laughs> Diane's there. She's not become a nun. They won't let her. The nuns won't let her become a nun because of things she's done, including dancing on the tables for various men in Italy. Frasier reveals a bit more information as well. Diane's basically gone off the rails in Italy and went crazy. Wild. Now she's in the nunnery serving penance to sort of redeem herself in the eyes of God. And this is where we get the rice part of the title. Yes, we've had... Have we had birth? Sort of. Norm said, no birth. No birth. Um, no, no birth in the Peterson family. Uh, we've had death with Coach. And no um, love as well, actually. No love. So really, all that we've got so far is death. And rice. And rice. Death and rice. It's not quite as catchy. No. To me, if your penance is just making rice. Yeah. Is the birth, death, love and rice, is it reference to um, various religious ceremonies? Because they do throw rice at weddings and whatnot, don't they? Uh, yeah, they do. But you can't anymore. Because it gets in your eyes. No, it swells up in birds' stomachs. Oh, yes, yes. I, yes. I do remember that. Yes. It was a sad day. This title. Death and Vice. Welcome to the newest episode of Springwatch. <laughs> so we get a scene of Diane serving some rice to some of the sisters and then uh, sort of wandering in the background of this sort of hall. Sam's wandering around and he finds Diane. At first he's like, hey, you're going to come back to Cheers or whatever? And she's like, no, Sam, I must stay here with the rice. The rice needs me. Basically, yeah, it's what you said, that she has to make the choice between working as a cleaner and chef in a convent or returning to Cheers. And this represents the conflict within her soul between temptation of Sam, mostly, and moral penance and choosing to do what is best for others in order to punish her for her past sins and misdemeanors or doing what may work well for herself. And it's a very interesting dilemma and theme, which they presented well, but didn't dwell too heavily on, which I liked. I'm going to add in another dimension to that, James. What's going to be more penance, going back to Cheers or staying in the nunnery? Where's going to have more anguish? Because I think she even says it, that every time she's went back to Cheers, it's ending in a cycle of sort of, you know, the same road every time. That sounds like some kind of hell to me. But Diane makes bad rice and the nuns don't like it, so they want her to go anyway. Diane's praying on the floor as to what is the right choice to make. She needs a sign. And then Sam comes back in asking where the men's room is, which in terms of, you know, divine intervention has to be, it's not a crying statue or something, is it? Certainly one of the least divine interventions, especially when you consider that, you know, in a nunnery, it's not likely to have a men's bathroom. Diane sort of takes it as a sign and realises maybe she should return to Cheers. So yeah, how will Frasier react when Sam returns with or without Diane? That's the lesser known first draft of the U2 song. But shall we run through the rest of the cast? Obviously, we mentioned Woody Harrelson, uh, Kelsey Grammer as Frasier, Alan Koss as Alan. Definitely will. I just want to do a quick one. If I was Kelsey Grammer and I had done the whole season three and I still wasn't a main character... Someone else came in and all they've done, you know, they've been uh, understudy at Broadway. They've done a film, main role. James, I'd be... Whew. That's why he was so angry for this. And he goes, where's James Bohos? <laughs> <laughs> He's still a recurring character. So let's hear some of the guest stars of this episode. Alan, Larry Harpel as Larry, 
and Lois de Banzi, which is quite a cool name, as Sister Movie. She previously appeared in Showdown Part 2 as Lady Number 1. Do you think she's the same character? Sam said uh, some of the women in this convent are probably there because of him. Like Sister Movie. Could be. Uh, there's also Patricia Houston as Sister Catherine. She also played a sister, I assume of the same kind, in an episode of Hill Street Blues and has made appearances in Perry Mason, L.A. Law, Days of Our Lives, Knots Landing and Murder, She Wrote, among many others. Finally, we have Arnold F. Turner, which, again, is a good name. It sounds like a 70s detective as customer. Not only has he appeared in The Six Million Dollar Man, Beretta, which is one of your favorites, MASH, Remington Steel, St. Elsewhere, Hill Street Blues, The A-Team, Knots Landing, The Fall Guy, Matlock, Hunter and Dr. Doolittle. He was also an associate producer of The Six Million Dollar Man. Wonder Woman, The Bionic Woman, and The Amazing Spider-Man. Quite, quite interesting. Back catalog. I suppose a couple of other things we can mention in regards to Nicholas Calasanto in this episode specifically was he was originally going to be written out as retiring and moving away. But the writers thought this was not really appropriate considering Coach was too loyal to his friends for his character to do that and it would be disrespectful to Nicholas Calasanto's memory. So they acknowledged within the script that he had died, which when the characters mention it throughout, you can see the sadness in the characters, particularly in Shelley Long, when she says the line, because she was the closest cast member to Nicholas Colosanto, and her eyes start to glaze over and she chokes up a bit when she's talking to Sam about the death, which was unscripted, but a, a nice touch. So it's clear that his legacy and impact will continue throughout the rest of Cheers, even if he isn't present, although he is remembered by the poster of Geronimo, which is next to the piano. Yeah, I was about to mention that that's visible in throughout the rest of the episodes, really, which is a nice touch to show that his lasting legacy will continue in the show as it moves forward. That's the trivia bell, James. That means we've got some lovely trivia questions to kick off season four. We do indeed. I have a few of them. I believe I have five. I've got the standard three, and I think you're going to do quite well because you've already answered a few within the conversation we've had. First one about Coach. What did Coach say about the afterlife before he passed away? Not immediately before he passed away, but what did he used to say about the afterlife? Oh, I don't know. He said, I hope there aren't a lot of stairs. Ah, uh, <laughs> but he loved stairs. He used to always fall down them. Yeah, but the stairway to heaven, if it's going up, it's probably quite a lot of effort. Falling down, he has no problem with, but that's not <laughs> the direction he was going in. Very true. <laughs> in this episode... And this is a question I think you'll get, James. Dr. Fraser Crane briefly announces that he's being a patient of a, a mentor of his. What was the mentor? Dr. Bennett Dudlow. Of course it was. And I'm hoping we see a visual appearance of him, or a proper appearance, uh, throughout the season, because he was great in the previous episodes. Yeah, and the father of Carla's child. Another one here. What is the name of the convent Diane is at? I'm going to guess a very safe guess and say St. Mary's. It's St. Anselm's Abbey with the Sisters of the Divine Severity. So maybe, maybe a half point for St. In this episode, a sweeping phrase crosses the Italian nation within soccer. Can you tell me what the phrase is and what it means? Frazier and it's trying to kick the ball and failing to. Uh, basically a Charlie Brown. I've wanna, I want to see Chris Camaro or someone. I'd like to see him use that phrase. That phrase? Yes, that phrase. That's that's the oh, yes. that's, that's how I said <laughs> it. Catchphrase of season four. Oh, what a, what a great phrase. 
Diane was not the first of Sam's exes to enter a convent. In a previous episode in season one, what was the name of another one of his exes to do so? Safe guess again. Mary. It's not. It's Christy Leveroni, and she was mentioned in season one, episode 15, Father Knows Last. Oh, it's close. You said a woman's name. Half a point. Yeah. In this episode, when Woody's sort of just started tending bar, Cliff and Norm walk in from the back room. They're detailing like a, an impression that Cliff was just trying to do. What, what was he trying to do an impression of? I want to say some cartoon character. No. Norm says, Cliffy, next time you try and imitate a helicopter, I think you ought to chalk up the cues before you stick them in your own ears. <laughs> <laughs> and Cliff says, you kidding? I'd look pretty silly with chalk in my ears. We have one about Woody. How does Woody describe the bar he worked at in Indiana? I'll give you a hint. Bar is a loose term. Uh, Like a a pig trough. He said a pig trough with a jukebox, if it didn't have a jukebox. I mean, you're pretty close. He described it as a pigsty with a jukebox, if they had a jukebox. Sounds like a pretty good pub. Another question here. What was everything that happened to Sam on his adventures through Italy due to the Marino estate? Well, he, he got to the estate. They wouldn't let him in. Then he jumped over a fence and there was like a load of greyhounds, German shepherds. Uh, seven Rottweilers. Rottweilers. They chased him, but he jumped into a moat. Then he got fished out of the moat by the police and the police took him to prison. He was in prison for a bit. Then someone set his bail, but they didn't actually, they just bought him. He was purchased by a local landowner. Because oh, they're rocks died. I remember all of this. It's very really dark. <laughs> this was a cold opening. <laughs> Oh good, it's final call. That's the last call at the bargains. What do you think of this kickoff to season four? I'm intrigued by it. I think it's teasing a few of the storylines for the rest of the season. I think we obviously got the introduction of Woody Harrelson. We got to see Fraser's quest for revenge. He was quite scary when he first came in, actually. The Sam and Diane relationship is ongoing, but will Diane return to Cheers again? It's in God's hands. I'll tell you what, if Carla had a crisis of faith before. I don't know how she's going to react if Diane comes back now. I tell you what, James, I know quite a good metaphor within this uh, episode might set out a kind of expectation for the season. In the episode, Woody, Tendon Bar, Cliff and Norm come over and he goes, what will it be? I'm fed up with serving people beer. Everyone always wants a beer. I'm a mixologist. I can make whatever you want. And then they go, oh, just a beer. (laughs) I think Cheers is going to be more of the same classic comedy it always was. And I think there's been some big changes, but I think it's going to root in that classic, just out of a pint. Yeah, we don't need champagne-soaked cigars. This is uh, reliable, you know. So I'm excited for this season. Grab a nice pint then, classic pint, and just cheers with that. We know what we're doing. Yeah, we're in safe hands, you know. We've got the additional woody. No messing around with this expensive alcohol. Give us what you've got. So are we saying thank you for listening to this episode of Where Nobody Knows Your Name? This has been a cheers podcast. Let's raise our glasses to the beginning of season four. (laughs) 